Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What dark deeds unfold on the streets of Arkham? And which unwitting souls, innocent or impure, will succumb to the maddening call? The call of Cthulhu. Experience the unknowable horror and black comedy of Nerdy Show's Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program, an RPG audio drama. Find it at CthulhuMystery.com or wherever you procure fine podcasts. Ghostbusters Resurrection is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. Visit nerdyshow.com support to learn about our Patreon, shop through our Amazon links, or give a one-time donation. And if you'd like to open your own Ghostbusters role-playing franchise, head to gbrpg.com. Hey, this is Doug from Ghostbusters Resurrection. And this is Cap from Nerdy Show. And uh, we're releasing this on June 8th, 2018, which is known among Ghostbusters fans as Ghostbusters Day. Why is that, Doug? I actually don't know why that It was the day that the original film was released back in 1984. Well, that's cool. I figured it was expecting something like Aliens Day, where it's like, you know, relatively complicated. No, not really. Aliens has a day. Why not? Yeah, sure. The number pi. It's got a day. (laughs) I accept it. 420. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So... For Ghostbusters Day, we are presenting a panel that we recorded at North Carolina Comic-Con. We were there representing Lightning Dogs, the animated series that Doug and I are developing. I was running a bunch of panels, and there was an incredible guest list, not the least of which was Eric Burnham, author of the amazing Ghostbusters comic from IDW, and Tom Waltz, author of all the IDW Ninja Turtle series, who's done editorial work for Ghostbusters, who's written the Ninja Turtle Ghostbusters crossover, who wrote Sanctum of Slime. So Doug and I hosted a panel speaking with the Ghostbusters team, and we want to present that here to you today. And afterwards, we'll talk a little bit about the future of Ghostbusters Resurrection. I'm Cap. I'm the uh, head of the Nerdy Show Podcast Network, and we got Eric Burnham, the author of the prolific IDW Ghostbusters material, the man who's, who has continued the official canon <laughs> wonderfully, Tom Waltz, IDW editor, co-author for TMNT Ghostbusters, and writer of a number of Ghostbusters side things. Like, I've done, I did the uh, Sanctum of Slime video game, Yeah. and then the Turtles ongoing for IDW, and that's how he brought the two worlds together. Yeah. And Jeremy Tarney. I am the chief financial officer for the North Carolina Comic Con, as well as the host of the Wild Tarney Show. Basically, I told everybody that they would not get paid if I couldn't be on the Ghostbusters panel. So, it's good power to have, yeah. Yeah, there yeah. I am. And this is Doug Banks, who's the game master and creative director of Ghostbusters Resurrection, a Ghostbusters role-playing podcast on the network I put out, which has been adopted by a number of fans as its own official brand of canon, it uses the original 1980s Ghostbusters role-playing system to tell stories that are then edited with music and sound effects. And it's so good that I said, hey, Doug, why don't you come on my network? <laughs> I said yes. <laughs> so everyone at this table is a huge Ghostbusters fan for a number of reasons. Some people at this table have 
altered the course of Ghostbusters history, and we're going to talk all about Ghostbusters today. Let's do it. Let's begin with IDW and the process of, of coming into that. IDW had already put out some Ghostbusters books yeah. at that time. Yeah, what happened was we had a couple miniseries that had been out already when they decided to give the book to me. So Scott Lebdell wrote a um, miniseries called Displaced Aggression. And so they brought me on board to do the Ghostbusters book. And I was a Ghostbusters fan, but when you kind of come into a series when it's already started, it, was, it feels like kind of like somebody else's. And I'm, I'm good friends with Scott. Scott's a talented writer. And it was a fun story, but I felt like it was the editor prior to me that was really his project that I just kind of took over and I saw it through to the end. And so when it was done, we were talking about what are we going to do with Ghostbusters. And so we had a little, little break, a four-month break, and we did some holiday stories. And during the holiday stories, I was able to work with different writers and different artists to tell these stories. And one of the writers that I turned to was Eric, because Eric is a person that I've known for a long time prior to my time at IDW. And I knew Eric could bring the funny, but he could also bring the drama and the scary. And I said, let's try doing some Ghostbusters work. Dan Schoening, who is our longtime artist, had pitched uh, like this 12-issue proposal for a, a Ghostbusters series, and I told him it was wonderfully pitched to us, but it was just too huge. There's no way we could publish it. It's too long. We can't do this. But I really like your artwork. Would you be willing to do a one-shot for us? Which he came on board to do a one-shot in the uh, this little holiday series. And at the end of that, I realized I had found my writer because I really liked Eric's story, and I had found the artist. And so I went to the bosses at IW, and I said. I'd like to do an ongoing Ghostbusters series. And we had, you know, the backing from Sony. And, and at that time, there was no Ghost Corps. It was just the Sony people. And Ghostbusters at that point was kind of in a flux. We were the only thing going, really, in the media world that was presenting Ghostbusters stories. And I said, I'd like to try an ongoing. They were a little hesitant. They didn't think it would work. And I said, well, tell you what. We'll announce it as an ongoing, but let's make sure that after four issues, the story ends in case it doesn't work, and then we can collect into a trade and we'll move on. Well, I went with my gut, and here we are, what, seven, seven, seven years, years later, wow. and Dan and Eric are still doing Ghostbusters stories. We put out at least three volumes of ongoing series. We've had a couple of maxi series, which were eight to 12 issues, mm-hmm. mini series crossovers with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, crossovers within all the different Ghostbusters world, including the new 2016 movie, and uh, right now we're actually doing one called Ghostbusters Crossing Over that cross over every Ghostbusters iteration that you've ever seen. So it's Ghostbusters, Sanctum of Slime, Extreme Ghostbusters, Real Ghostbusters, all in one big kind of Crisis on Infinite Earths type story that Eric is writing and Dan is drawing. So we went from the sort of book that might work to a long-running, very successful, and, as you mentioned before, considered canonical version of the Ghostbusters to the point where once Ghost Corps was formed with Dan Aykroyd and uh, Ivan Reitman and their group, they uh, actually turned to us quite a bit for any other content that they're doing because they consider, I guess it considers the brain touch now in a lot of ways. That's wonderful. I was going to ask about that because I mean, Mm -hmm. the work that's been done in terms of expanding, clarifying, detailing the Ghostbusters lore and world and physics even, right? it's been so well done. I mean, (laughs) Eric wrote Tobin's Spirit Guide, the the real (laughs) one. And that's no small feat. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I was really curious how that worked once Ghost Corps came into the equation. Yeah. Actually, back in the year that the book debuted, I met Dan Aykroyd and was interviewing him and talking with him about, oh man, like, so how familiar are you with these exceptional Ghostbusters comics that are coming out? And he's like, oh, they're great. Some great team out of Canada. And he was talking about the 88 miles per hour yeah. Ghostbusters thing yeah. from way back. <laughs> Had no idea. And then when Ghost Corps was announced and the content from the comics was so heavily featured, yeah. I was like, Finally, he gets it. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, uh, Dan Schoening is from Canada, who, the artist, and 
that was like a big highlight for Dan was that he got to meet Dan Aykroyd at some kind of a, one of the vodka events yep. and got to show him some of the comics. And I think that's probably where it kind of it was introduced to Dan Aykroyd, wasn't it? Yeah. Dan, Dan actually gave him hand hand delivered some copies to him mm -hmm. and then after that that's when I think they really started paying attention even more I mean up to that point they knew they had their comics out there and they knew they were doing well but then that's when Ivan and, and Dan really started paying attention that's so great um, to the point where we had a meeting IDW the editor-in-chief at the time was Chris Ryle they called us up there this was right after the Answer the Call movie had been released and it wasn't the hit they had hoped it was and they had said they said look what we wish we would have done we probably should have had this be a passing of the baton, and it shouldn't have been a, a reboot. Maybe that would have worked better for like the old fans, because there was a lot of terrible backlash because they were women and all this, and and that was just fan bullying. But they had, they admitted they said maybe it would have been better as a, a sequel, and and they said maybe there's still a way to do that. We want you guys to do it. We want you guys to make this one big Ghostbusters universe. Is there a way you can do it? Well, luckily, when our Turtles crossover was done. The Ghostbusters and the Turtles both have these dimensional portals, which is the ultimate MacGuffin to get people where you need them to go. And I said, well, yeah, we have this teleporter, and why don't we just say there's other dimensions? And they said, go for it. And that's now they actually officially consider Answer the Call Ghostbusters and the Prime Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, in the same canon. They just happen to be in different dimensions, and that's, yeah. that's how they meet. And to me, that was a huge vote of confidence when they call us to use the comic book to kind of like adjust something that they felt like they could have done a little differently, you know. And then that being said, we worked with Ivan and the Ghost Corps people, but one of our biggest fans has been Paul Fig all along. Oh we, yeah. My uh, highlight for me was we went to the Ghostbusters premiere, the movie, and my wife and I, and I said, "Oh, I really like the movie." And he said, "You know what? You guys have kept this flag flying when nobody else was." He goes, and he said, "Thank you." And so that that was when I said, "All right, maybe we're doing the right thing here." <laughs> That's so great. The dimensional aspect to it has been such a focus as of late, and. What I love about the way you guys do things at IDW is that normally those kind of books would be fun asides mm -hmm. that would in no way ever affect larger continuity. Right. You wouldn't have to, like a Ghostbusters Ninja Turtles crossover under anybody else would not be essential reading to know what's going to happen next. Right. But it is in fact essential reading. Yep. And that's something that you two have collaborated on quite a bit. Yeah. So what, what was it like getting that particular project off the ground? Oh, geez. After knowing Tom for years, we, we first met in 2012 at San Diego Comic-Con. And we're sitting up at about 1 o'clock in the morning, exhausted from the show, saying, you know what would be fun? Because he was in his first year on Ninja Turtles writing, and I was in the first year on Ghostbusters. It'd be fun to do a crossover. That'd be great. We're kicking around ideas of stuff we'd do, and also realizing that it would probably never happen. And it took about two and a half years before Nickelodeon and Sony and IDW all said, okay, yeah, no, this can happen. So, I mean, it was, it was persistence. Hey, you know, remember that pitch that we had to do this? Well, we, we can't do it now because the Ninja Turtles are going over this way and the Ghostbusters are going over this way. Maybe when they, things slow down in, in the plots and uh, mostly, well, mostly the turtle plots, they were a lot more dense than mine. <laughs> We've planned it out for a year and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> I planned my next issue. But, yeah, no, it was just an idea of that would be fun and we should do that, and that's that's kind of how some of our more interesting stories have come about. And it's weird to think now because at the time, Sony was kind of on board, but they weren't kind of sure what it would be. They, and Nickelodeon was saying, you know, we're not sure if we want to do crossovers with the Turtles right now because they had so many things going on. They have an animated show and all these things, and they were trying to keep the brand. Let's not complicate it too much for the people who are buying things. And I said, no, this, this could really work. And so we finally said, and we can make it so it counts. What if we keep it in canon and so that story kind of counts so our, our Turtles fans will want to buy it and then the Ghostbusters fans will want to buy it and, you know, everybody loves royalty money so they'll be, you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll have sales. And finally they said, you know what, all right, 
just, you know, four issues. And it was almost kind of like, just get it out of your system, guys. It'll be okay. Let's do it. And then it was a huge success. And then they were like, when do we do the next one? They're ready for another one. Is and that so, a question you were prepared to answer? <laughs> we were ready. We knew yeah, like, we wanted to do a second one because it was so much fun. Mm. But I thought it might just be the uh, you know one and done. And then after that, to Nickelodeon's credit, once they saw it could work and they understood what we were doing and they saw how the fans, you know, sometimes it's the fans that make the difference in the world. So when the fans can figure out that this is canon, but it could be something that you read by itself, you don't have to have it, but it's nice to have it, and they know how it fits into both books. They said, oh, the fans get this. This is something that could work. To the point now where, I mean, in the Turtle side of things, we've done crossovers with Batman and other things since then because it was a concept now that they, they got, and then they got that the brand stayed intact. Turtles doesn't ruin Batman, Ghostbusters don't ruin the Turtles, but it's actually something that can work well together. And in the case of the Turtles and Ghostbusters, what's more New York? than both of those properties. So uh -huh. it just was a perfect fit. And then, and we always knew, I mean, a lot of people probably had seen this in the past when they were playing with their toys when they were kids, but they are made for each other. The, yeah. the four brothers and the, the four Ghostbusters were made for each other, personality-wise, the different intellect that they have. They there complement each other. Yeah, they complement each other perfectly. And so we knew that. We just wanted the chance to tell the story. So I wouldn't be surprised if we have a trilogy. Be nice. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Now, with the latest story crossing over, boy, it, there's a lot going on. So I feel sorry focus, for him. Yeah. <laughs> a focus has been placed on the dimensional aspect of the Ghostbusters mm. universe that this TMNT crossover just, like, popped the cork on. Like, yeah. The floodgates are open now. So, in terms of pivoting the series in that direction, what were the conversations that were had? Because obviously that's, you know, you want to talk about companies worried about overcomplicating things, that's a lot to manage. And certainly yeah. the fans are <laughs> loving the premise, but... You know, it was Sony, I, I think, in Ghost Corps, that was, the key was... Ivan, more than anything else, wants to build this multi-dimensional, basically, Ghostbusters universe. And so he came to us with that idea that, you know, I, I want all these things to count and, and I want this to be... The way he described it to me was, he said, to me, Ghostbusters are firefighters. He goes, that's what they are. He goes, there's a reason I put them into the firehouse. He goes, because they're firefighters. Just happens to be the fires that they put out are ghosts. He goes, but they're just normal guys that are, are doing a dangerous job, a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it, and that's who these guys are. And so he said, in every town, in every country in this world, needs firefighters. He goes, so why wouldn't we have like an international band of Ghostbusters? Some better than others. Some are uh, different makeup of genders and races and stuff. He goes, it should be diverse, just like the world, and they should be spread out. And then we said, well, you know, we have a lot of teams because we've had all these iterations before. So dimensionally, we've already proven scientifically we know how to, to teleport people. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we do that with the, the teams that exist so then we solidify once and for all that, look, this is Ivan's vision. All these Ghostbusters exist in the same canon. They just look differently and they're in different dimensions. And then from there, maybe we can expand on that world you know, down the line with new teams and, and new characters. And he thought, he goes, that's great. He goes, if you guys can come up with a story that makes that work. And so I went to Eric, I said, you're, you're going to hate me because it's going to take a lot of characters. To, but he, I said, can you do this with all the Ghostbusters? And he said, yeah. And so we put together a story, and it's a great story. I think people are going to be really happy with what they see. And so anybody who loves Ghostbusters for any reason, there's something in there for them. Mm -hmm. And that's hot on the heels of an annual that did something... Yeah quite interesting, which is I'm sure over the years lots of people have been asking about Samhain or Samhain, a fan favorite character from the animated series, but uh, now personified in Ghostbusters main universe canon. Eric, I was wondering if you could talk about the process of you and Dan finally like taking on that thing that's been maybe sort of an elephant in the room with the fan community oh, for such a long time. Well, the merching orders for this annual were, you can do whatever story you want, it just needs to somehow 
segue into crossing over the big uh, event, and that meant at some point figuring out a way for more Ghostbusters to pop in the end, which we did, which meant a bigger threat, which meant, you know, picking one of the real Ghostbusters villains, because they have some memorable ones, and it's always fun to rethink them for the series. And actually, I was talking about it last year at, at DragonCon. That's that's the thing that I wanted to do for an annual, was to bring Sam Hain back. So yeah, it just became, okay, he's going to be the big threat that we use, and I went back and forth, actually, between using either him or Cthulhu. But um, <laughs> I would have just it would have just been repeating the real Ghostbusters episode, the ending beat for beat. Okay, so they're just going to all blast him with all the proton packs, and that's the end, and no, that's not satisfying. Let's come up with something else. I wish I would have more room, but uh, mm. that's always the case. I mean, that's the character people have been asking for, a version of that mm. character. Or, I mean, we've, we've worked in a version of uh, the Boogeyman. We've worked in a version of Sandman. So, I mean, this was the natural next step to work into our universe. It made sense at the end of the day, and uh, it was fun. And uh, people so far have been happy with it. So. And that it helped too. You guys all saw the cover that Dan Schoening drew. Mm-hmm. So when that came, and I said, "Okay, people are gonna love this." I mean, mm-hmm. the new design is really cool because yeah. mm-hmm. Doug and I have talked about Sam Hain a lot because he is such a fan favorite. But we we both felt like he sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. like, but I love that you even point that out in the comic. It's like he's got a pumpkin for a head. How bad can he be? You know, it's like I, even as a kid, I felt that same thing. And then to make it, it's like, oh no, here's why you should worry. Yeah, <laughs> creepy as all get out. And it was it was also fun because we haven't done a story where where Kylie's taken the focus and all of the the storylines. We've we've kind of picked one person that gets a little bit more attention than anybody else. So mm-hmm. it was her turn. Totally. And integrating the real Ghostbusters characters into, or her specifically, and Eduardo to an extremely lesser extent, but um, into that universe, it felt so right. Because she's a character who's beloved for a lot of good reasons, mm-hmm. and gosh, she works with the team dynamics so well. Oh, yeah, I didn't want to stop writing her once we, once we started using her more. I, I just was, you know, sneaking up ways to keep putting her into the book. And it was serendipitous, too. For when we went to Ghost Corps and they wanted us to bring in the Answer the Call team into this kind of this reality that they had used the cameos of the different actors in the Answer the Call movie. So Dan was in the movie and, and Ernie and Bill Murray. So we already kind of had an explanation that, oh, there's a reason they were there, but they weren't who they were in the original movies because everybody's got doppelgangers in these different universes. We've already proven that with Kylie and Eduardo. So it just it all kind of fit together. As you guys have already took something that was quite nerdy, this paranormal exterminator thing, and it's just me just wrung it with all of us. It's got Multiverse some, yeah, stuff. Yeah, some new levels now. But the funny thing is like, with the science, for a while I was editing Ghostbusters for Eric and the scripts would come in and I thought, oh, this is really good. And finally one day I said, like, I didn't know you knew so much science. And he goes, I'm just making most of that stuff up. And I said, <laughs> well, it seems real to me. I thought it was real. <laughs> we should talk about like making that up and building that lore mm-hmm. and so on. What is the process, like the ghost core at this point, Mm-hmm. Um, being the overseeing entity. Is there an approval process? Yes, and actually, there's always been an approval process. In the past, it would be more aesthetic stuff, so like make sure the artwork was okay. We had likeness rights to the actors, but once if you draw the comics, I always feel like when you have likeness rights and then the, then the artist has to draw the way the actor looks in real life, it just becomes, they become really stale because it's hard to get the actors to approve sometimes or their people, and then what happens is a lot of the artists will resort to Photoshopping. Because they'll say, well, if they like this version of the face, I'm just going to do that and move it around a little bit. So we had a choice between going with likenesses or going like we did with caricatures, like Dan draws. And I said, that's much better. And I think it's just more active. It's, it's more fun. And I always just tell the artists, draw the characters, don't draw the actors. And they figure it out real quick. So we would have legal stuff that would, they would look at legal lines and the aesthetics of the artwork to make sure everything was okay. You know, it's, it's a different world now. So if you notice in our comics, they never smoke. 
where in the movie they never stopped smoking, but they were like, you know what, we don't want to promote cigarette smoking. Let's, let's pull that out of the story. It's not important. But now with Ghost Corps, they're more actively involved, but and not in a way where you're, you know, you might hear that and say, oh man, are they micromanaging? No, what's exciting for me is that they're excited. So they're more actively involved now because they want to know what we're doing because as they keep up with what we're doing, they're actually developing things based on what we're doing. So that tells me that we're, again, we're important to what's happening and they, they realize where we fit into the whole Ghostbuster lore and the Ghostbuster business. And so it's become actually more daily, more one-on-one with the Ghost Corps folks about everything we're doing, but in a way that feels like it's really a true partnership, yeah. you know, and that they're relying us, uh, on us just as much as we rely on that license. I so. mean, uh, they, they showed me some pictures of there's a ride in Germany. They built as, you know, the thing you walk through to the ride, you know, where you're waiting in line to see some stuff. They built the, the Ecto-RV that we used in Haunted America. So that's the thing that you walk through to get to the ride. That's and wonderful. And I'm just like, I want to go there and see this in yeah. person. <laughs> no, you get the pictures, you know. <laughs> My favorite thing is I, I've gotten a few calls from Ghost Corps where they ask me questions about the Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> it, what do they like? What do they do? Just, they yeah, like, where's this character? How do they fit in? And, and what do they do? And then I'll just say, let me ask Eric. Because it's <laughs> part of the canon we've built. You know, and so that that's cool. That that's where, like I said, where you kind of like a little bit of a brain trust now. At least we have we have one section of the brain that's ours mm-hmm. for sure. That's super rad, Doug. I feel like there's some technical questions about like the world, the lore. I mean, we've dove in, you and sure. I have dove into this a lot, mitigating our own situations of adapting the 1980s role playing system, which never included, say, slime blowers or mm-hmm. mechanics for anything that showed up in the video game. Certainly, right. We've been working with all that and being put in the position of actively asking questions about how the world works. How do containment units work in from a technical perspective, which is something that seems to be a topic of conversation yeah. right now, which is very exciting for the both yes. of us. I don't want to get too inside baseball, but like, <laughs> if it's spoilerific, you don't have to say. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, just say it's spoilerific and you don't have to say. Yeah. The, it's a spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> because you have the different real Ghostbusters, extreme Ghostbusters. Like in real Ghostbusters, they make the containment unit, they can look inside, have a viewport. And I think in the annual, they said, whoa, well, our counterparts in that universe had a viewport. Maybe we can do one here. But it was never explained in like Wikipedia or any of the novelizations or whatever, like how the heck a containment unit even works. And the only thing we know from it as fans is what they said in real Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. So like, how do you feel it's going to be different or is it going to be more of like, okay, we have a somewhat realistic view of Ghostbusters in the film canon, but in real Ghostbusters inside, it's just like a playground for ghosts. It's kind of harmless and friendly in a way. Well, I I would have probably kept it... um if it had just been up to me, I would have probably just kept it uh, ambiguous, and it's a mix of gases, or whatever you mean, inert gases, and that's what it is. But I don't work on the book alone, and Dan Schoening drew it like the cartoon. Here's a different pocket universe, and here they're floating around, here's some rocks, and it looks like a sky. And so, I mean, th- there it is. It's a pocket dimension. Mm-hmm. They don't know that yet. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the Ghostbusters don't necessarily know that yet, but that's what it is because that's what Dan established, and, uh, you know, it looks cool. So yeah. there we go. And I know Ivan's, he talked about it at Comic-Con last year. He's very fascinated about the idea that things could take place in the ghost world mm-hmm. versus the real world. So that's, that's like, something we kind of keep in our back of our minds. When you say the ghost world, because <laughs> they've been to hell already. Yeah. <laughs> like, they've been to other pocket dimensions. That's right. Yes. So by ghost world, are we talking about like in a containment unit, like a world inside of a containment unit? That's, that's kind of how I understood it, but he could have even meant like in a... In, in all in all ways, yes, ghost, the containment yeah, unit yeah. or, or another <laughs> parallel dimension where the dominant race is ghost-like. Yeah. Uh, the, he likes that idea. Just all, all of the above. The mm-hmm. old uh, Manhattan. Uh, yeah. People uh, busters. Yeah. People, People busters. Yeah, the whole thing. <laughs> yep. 
all of that stuff is is stuff he, mm -hmm. he likes to explore or wants to explore. It's interesting how hands-on, just from a remote standpoint that I occupy, like that Ivan Reitman is so like, gosh, Ghostbusters. He sounds super excited about it all the time. Yeah, and I think what happened was with the movie in 2016, and I, I feel like whatever the movie accomplished, if anything, it really reignited that fire, I think, at Sony and with Ivan and, and Dan and those guys. And they were like, you know what? We do have something here. And the comic books are proving it. And the movie has a huge fan base. I mean, we're doing an Answer the Call series right now, standalone series, and they're rabid fans. I mean, on Twitter and stuff, there's people who love those characters. And I love those characters. I, I have a lot of fun. I love how he writes Holtzman. Kelly Thompson's book is awesome right now. And so I think what it was was, was they realized this thing still has so much potential. We just got to run with it. Let's put it under one umbrella, Ghost Core, and let's see what we can do. And yeah. I mean, they're doing video games, virtual reality. It's 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 amazing what they're doing now. Rides, you know. And I think it was just they needed something, you know. After Harold passed away, I think things kind of got quiet, and they weren't sure where they were going to go from there. The movie got out, and then they realized this is just the first step toward doing more Ghostbusters stuff. I mean, they got animated shows, movies, everything in the works. So yeah. it's it's not going away. If anything, it's going to get bigger. And next year's the 35th anniversary. They got some big plans under lock and key. I would imagine. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, even, even someone from us, as much as we know, there's a few things I'm waiting to hear. They're like, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, What's the latest one? There's there an animated series that takes place in the future that was announced. Is that still a thing, or is that... I think it's it's just still being developed. So that was something we actually had some... We did some work on that early on to help them out. And um, it's just one of those things where I know they want to do it, but again, it's something they, they wanted to announce, and now it's just a matter of getting all the logistics worked out is typical, you know, kind of the Hollywood development cycle. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's definitely something they're, they're still planning. And, that, and it kind of plays into some of the stuff we're doing, actually, uh -huh. in the book. It's almost like it wouldn't be official until it's in the book at this point. You know what? It does feel like that sometimes, and that's cool. And I, and I, and I think even Ghost Core would say that. I think they know that what we do legitimizes <laughs> what's happening outside of the comics. So, so they know that the fans are looking to the comic for content that they believe is part of this greater... Ghostbusters canon, you know, and not just all oh, those are the comic books. It's it's become that thing. You're, you're right. Where, where, and it's a transmedia world right now. I mean, you if you have a comic, you're going to want a video game. You're going to want a movie. You're going to want novelizations. I'd love to see novelizations. I've heard rumors of that. That would be cool. There's children's picture books they've done and everything. And I think it's it's just getting content out there because there's just so much stuff for people to choose from, and people want stuff now. Yeah. You know, in this world, and so we're able to do that with the comics while they develop these big long movies and TV shows. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We worked up a list of, of stuff that would be fun to do, some of which are maybe still possible. I won't talk about any of those. The one that was absolutely not possible was one he came up with an interview as a joke. And then I read this joke and I'm going, 
oh man, all of a sudden they have ideas. Oh man, these ideas are good. Oh, this is never going to happen. Because his idea was Fantastic Four. And I said, oh wait, what if Doom and Vigo teamed up? Oh, oh no. And I'm just like, and what if Reed and Egon hated each other? And what if Winston and Ben went out for drinks? Oh my God, I can't write this book. It's never going to happen. Marvel will never say yes. And they didn't. So, you know. <laughs> but they were asked? Uh, We've gone on the road. Yeah. I mean, with that one, not, I wouldn't say that's 100% impossible, but it's kind of like... Uh, we do have 98%. Yeah. Chief now. yeah, so we never know. But it, it, we're, we're still kind of in that, you know, dumb and dumber, you, you're saying there's a chance kind of <laughs> thing, but yeah. it's a pretty slim chance. But yeah. but it's something that we, we talked about a lot. And then um, there's other properties that actually we, we're actively talking with Ghost Corps about crossing mm-hmm. the Ghostbusters over. It's just a matter of working out the legality of that, too. Yep. So there may be more. That door is... Flung so wide open, I can't believe it. That's right. <laughs> is there any chance uh, Portal is going to open up and we're going to see the Ghostbusters play mobile characters run out and start saving the day? <laughs> there is now. <laughs> they, well. They'd have to do a they'd have to do a deal with play mobile. And if so, so you're I, saying I'm sure Dan would draw it. You're, you're, you're saying fact, they're not canon yet. Is they're what not you're canon. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 so, he, he drew uh, and, and we had him we had him take it out because it was it was weird. He drew the, the Sega sprites at about four inches tall. In a big group shot of Ghostbusters we have in Crossing Over Number Two, there's all the Ghostbusters, and then there's these four little sprites standing there in the front. I said, Dan, no. <laughs> I said, and I said, when they came, I, I said, we can't have who's those little guys yeah. in the front? <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they kind of got painted out. But, but almost everybody else, there, there was a couple I said, Dan, who are these? He goes, oh, yeah, that was concept art from... No, Dan, we've got a dozen characters here that I can't if, use. If anybody's, re- you guys, if anybody's reading our book, you know Dan puts... So many. Easter eggs, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't believe, in every single page and every single panel. It's, it's actually, to me, I told Danny's bizarre. It's bizarre he knows so much and, and he finds a way to put it all in there. The level of nuance is overwhelming. I, I sometimes feel like unqualified in just a, a single pass reading to feel like I really know what I've been shown. You, you want to know, <laughs> this is how meticulous Dan is. He'll say, Tom, do we still have time? I missed something because Luis does all the colors and then Dan will add like little touches to it. And he goes, I forgot something on page 15 and I put it on the FTP. Can you still get it into the print run? And I'll, I'll grab it and I'll look at it and I'll look at it and say what did you change? I can't see anything different from the other page. And he goes, oh, there was a wire on the one proton pack and it was the wrong color. And it's literally like the smallest thing on the page. And like, only you would have saw that, Dan. Only you would have noticed that wire. No, but he knows he there just, are fans who would maybe know. It was, and he's just so panicking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody would have tweeted him about it. I, 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 and I would go like this. I'd be clicking back and forth between the pictures going, I can't even see what changed. So now I just, whenever he sends me something, I just trust him. I, so, I love something's the... got fixed. I love the joke in the the annual about I forget what it's called. Like, there's like a special call now that I assume is named after Dan. Oh yes, to eliminate uh, to to not have to have so many people in the background to draw. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's that. Yeah, no, I I put that in just to see if he'd notice, and I don't think he did. What? (laughs) (laughs) He just he goes he reads the description. Okay, no background characters. Cool, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're at the halfway mark. So any folks have any questions? Boom. I have a question for both the writing team and for Doug. Do you ever have to come up with ideas for, say, new ghost-busting technology or new tools or equipment? Because we know that there's one thing that major publishers and toy makers love, it is new toys to play. Right. Mm. Have you considered adding new equipment, things like that? Have you approached the story that goes? Oh, we've, we've, we've thrown stuff in the book. The, the thing is that Dan, something that he loves is, uh, we were just talking about Easter eggs, he also loves referencing stuff, so he might make it look like something that was older 
And there's like, oh, look, it's that, it's, that's, a, that's a toy that came out in 1987. And no, it's new tech. Dan, you, you drew the toy, Dan. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, it's just, I said, how about some grenades? Oh, they use grenades in real Ghostbusters. I'll draw that. Or, you know, I'll draw something that looks like a uh, Sony PlayStation as a backpack. Or, you know what I mean? He throws things in like that sometimes. I mean, he tweaks them. They're not literally a Sony PlayStation. But uh, as far as I know. But... Um, <laughs> No, no, we've, we've added some stuff over the years. We've added, you know, bazookas and grenades, and if the story requires it, you know, just something for fun to draw and, and be different than, okay, they've seen the proton pack on the trap a million times, what else can we do? I think a lot of the way Dan takes references from things like that, too, is a lot within the flavor of the original movie. Oh, yeah. Everything looks like very cobbled together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So every time I see something that Dan drew that is very clearly something that already exists, like a PlayStation, mm-hmm. I'm like, of course they would use that technology and make it their own. Mm-hmm. Right. And that actually, that's something that Ghost Core has commented on. They did that in the uh, Answer the Call series is they'll say, you know, can we make it look, that's exactly the words they use, can you make it look a little more cobbled together? Like they, it was something that Holtzman just had some spare parts for her and she threw it together because they like that idea. It's that, that idea that these are just guys that are just kind of building these things on the fly mm-hmm. and it's experimentation and they wanted that to carry over and to answer the call. So that's definitely part of uh, the mythos. Well, in, in Ghostbusters 2, Ray uses the Nintendo joypad to yep. pilot the Statue of Liberty <laughs> and then Dan draws a proton bazooka that's the NES right. like, light gun. Right. So yep. it's like, is that just a reference to childhood light gun Nintendo stuff or is that like literally saying that Egon is taking apart Nintendo <laughs> and like turning him into weaponizing the yeah. games? Well, like, he would. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why reinvent the wheel? Yeah. That's right. That's true. In, in terms of the, the role-playing game, the game itself is based around a couple simple mechanics but one, chief among them is there are cards cards for equipment and that's how you determine your loadout because it's a really slim down easy to learn role playing game so you have to have these cards and in the process of Doug when did you start the series? 2012 he was in a position where he had to reinvent like he was, he was asking himself what does Ghostbuster equipment look like in 2012 yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and that was a pain <laughs> and the video game helped a lot with that and like the idea of I never would have thought of a dark matter generator. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, all that stuff really sort of cracked open the possibilities of what you can do with it so they're not just weapons but tools to capture right. these things. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought was, like, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. But funny enough, in the rules for the game, they would encourage players to make up their own unique item because when the game came out, all you had was a proton pack, PK meter, and a trap and goggles, and that was it. So you, they said if you want to make a device... includes scuba gear and climbing gear. And a parachute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and because the real Ghostbusters cartoon was really popular at the time, and Egon was making something new every episode, they're like, go ahead and tell your players they can make whatever they want, but if they want to make something, they ha- you have to tell them how much it's going to cost, and they have to name it. And here's some technobabble to like kind of sort of start you on that road. <laughs> but it's been really uh, up to the players, mostly. Mm-hmm. And what happens with Ghostbusters Resurrection is because it's entirely improvised storytelling... Doug, and now in season three, Doug and I have worked on like plotting these storylines, but we still know that it's all for the sake of manipulating our players and creating this kinetic, very true-to-Ghostbusters feeling experience because these are friends working together, mm-hmm. putting themselves in dangerous situations. But when it comes to equipment, there's an improvisational collaborative experience. And like you guys, what you did... Slime woven gloves, yeah. Uh, slime woven boots. So like inside inside the fabric of the jumpsuit, so it's the less chance of you getting possessed. It was more of like, okay, what? I have a min maxer uh, that's playing the game, and like, how do I satiate them with the numbers? You know, so like, what if I could half that chance? What would half the chance of getting possessed? If there was some kind of force field. No. Well, what if there was like positive slime woven through 
the clothing. Okay, yeah, sure, fine. And then it just, it just goes from there. If you can use it for the stuff, the techniques they use in the video game, like for tethering, then right. surely you could work yeah. a way to make it somehow incorporated into some kind of fabric. It's like a gaming mechanics problem that you reverse engineer it and then find a technical bubble reason to solve it. But Cap will, like, even as recent as a few weeks ago, Cap will pick up, like, the single issues of the comic and say, this is a new thing here, just gotta see this. Okay, what? And I have to get it on my phone. Okay, good, we're still in continuity, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> this, still, this still jives, we're good. What's one element from the like, previous canon, either extreme or real or whatever, that you have wanted to include into the comics or the game that you haven't gotten the chance? or like we're told that you couldn't do for whatever reason. For the longest time, there was a couple of things that they didn't want to let us do. First one was they didn't want Slimer. They didn't want to be like the real Ghostbusters Slimer, which I didn't want to do anyway, so that worked out, so we got him in early. The other thing that they wouldn't let us do for years was include uh, Dana or Lewis which yes. is why they didn't show up until Mass Hysteria. Mm. We why said, was it's that? It's the 30th. They just, uh, my guess is always that they weren't in the game, so that mm -hmm. maybe there might have been a refreshing of rights issues. That since they weren't in the game, they didn't sign something new. They, but that's a guess on my part. I, I think they just didn't feel like it. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they just said, we, we don't want to use these characters until we gave them a reason that we would not be just uh, reiterating the movie. And I think there were again. like legal concerns, too, because, mm -hmm. you know, the actors involved. And so they were, you know, they, they were saying, well, we're not, we're not really sure legally how we can do this. Because sometimes the actors will have clauses in their contracts that say you have to draw their likeness. It can't be a caricature or, or vice versa. You can't draw their likeness. Or whatever you do with them, they have to have some rights. So they had to kind of go back, look through the contracts and stuff like that. And then they finally said, you know what, as long as you don't, in this case, they said, no likenesses, we're fine. And so it actually worked out. And it, I felt like the timing actually was nice because it was something that we've been doing the stories for a while. And now, boom, here's Dana and here's, here's Lewis. And so I think the fans were excited. But it's, it's, you know, it's always tricky with licenses. You never know, especially with the actors involved, what, what the clauses are, what, what you can and can't do. And it just took a little bit of research on their side for them to finally say, go ahead and go for it. And now, now they're, they've shown up a number of times. I feel like Dan must be mastering that balancing act of like what you can get away with, especially with the cameos. Like you get, oh, that's Axel Foley, or oh, that's the that is... Adventures in Babysitting, or you know, there's, there's so many. Yeah. Like, do the lawyers ever read the comics, and or do they not even recognize that this Sometimes is a cameo? Sometimes I hope they don't, because <laughs> um, that's Dan. Mm -hmm. Dan, and there's actually been many a time where a page will come in and there's going to be an actor that is no doubt this is some actor from the 80s that he loves that I'll say, Dan, you, we don't have rights to that actor. You have to change that character. Okay. I go, please don't do that again. And the next page will come in and there'll be another actor. And I guess he's just trying to slide him by me or maybe he just does it subconsciously now. But a lot of like those references, that's just from Dan's 80s mind and he likes to put those mm -hmm. things in there. And for the most part, you know, it's, I think, maybe sometimes... We worry about you know the legality of it, but the way he does it, it's an homage, or we'll change color. So you know, it's it's enough to where it's different enough. It's not the exact same. Parody law is very flexible. Yeah. Well, but, it's interesting that you have this Ghostbusters storyline that is involving video games, other spinoff cartoons, right. turtles, and if you open the door to turtles, oh my gosh, it's a million other things. But this one cameo of that one character from a thing that hardly anyone remembers, that's not Ken, that's just an Easter egg, that's just for fun. Right. And the fans can tell the difference by the way it's presented. It's, it's hilarious. My thing. favorite right. thing is the implication that the Ghostbusters universe and Strange Brew are all in the same place. <laughs> <laughs> like, because Strange Brew has a ghost in it. Like, that actually <laughs> happened. That, that all makes complete sense. There's times where some people will say, that's so funny that you put those characters in the comic book. And I go, where? Yeah. I, didn't, I missed that. Where? And then I go, oh, great. Thanks, mm -hmm. Dan. <laughs> well, 
Doug, what about you in terms of... I don't have to answer to a lawyer, so I do whatever I want. It's like, sure, there's no, there's sure. no, there's Not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not uh, till it's C&D comes. Sure. <laughs> it's coming. There's, um... Uh, Whoa! <laughs> God, somebody's coming. <laughs> um, it's not a problem for us, because we're just a fan podcast that just throws in whatever we want. I mean, spoiler alert, Beetlejuice shows up. Uh, oh, awesome. David Lopan shows up. The Three Storms show up. And there's <laughs> future ones we have planned that I... I won't say because my players might listen, so I'm not going to say what shows up, but other stuff will show up. But thanks to the door that they've opened, it's not crazy to assume that these people are there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just sort of works. If it makes so. you feel better, Beetlejuice and Ghostbusters crossed over in the Universal... That, well, we're from Orlando, so yeah. So. It's like we're well aware. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good on that one. In fact, yeah, yeah. we came really close to having a guy who played him at Universal Studios doing it on the show. Oh, and if yeah. we ever get a chance to, like, we ever remaster, remaster it, it, it's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking personally in terms of like inclusion stuff, for Ghostbusters Resurrection, Doug and I's big task in season three, which is what's the current thing, was, okay, what do we do with Sam Hain to make this idea relevant? And what Eric and Dan did is totally different from what we did, which is also all of it totally different from the cartoon, which I love because it has this sort of synergistic quality to it. So that was a big that was a big chore for us. I mean, we were plotting that sucker for a year to figure out this real quick elevator pitch for season three. It all takes place on Halloween night. The Ghostbusters have no opportunity to fix anything, replenish any of their equipment, and Sam Hain is attempting a massive global event that is brought on by cultists, and it gets very real and very dark, and uh, this is like the most disturbing potential incarnation of Sam Hain. In plug, but yeah. But in a weird way, still not breaking continuity with official canon so far. Yeah. That's like the biggest relief that's, for that's, me. That's a joy because it's, it's all so, it all plays so well. I was, reading, I was reading the annual and I'm like, oh, oh, this is good, but oh, I just hope that I didn't do anything that's like whatever, not that anyone cares, but it's just like, <laughs> but my players would care. They'd be like, well, hi, Doug, how come, like, I just, it, it's a game, it's not the same thing. Mm. Official canon can be this, but the fact that it actually still accidentally fits is like, on my part. Yeah. <laughs> So, Eric, when you're writing, everyone always says, like, oh, you capture the voices so well of, like, you know, the main four. But also, I feel like you're capturing the voices of the 2016 group and the real Ghostbusters and everything. Why is it that when I read Egon's dialogue, I hear Harold Ramis, but when I read real Ghostbusters, I hear the real Ghostbusters Egon in my brain? Or do you write Egon the same regardless? Or in, and the art does the heavy lifting to make me hear that? Or is it, like, actually a different voice? The, yeah, the art does a lot of the heavy lifting, but I do... The, the, the cadence of speech, the words that are chosen on the real Ghostbusters versus the real Ghostbusters movie or anything else Harold has appeared in, they're not the same. The, so I, I, I will pick different words for the characters. And sometimes that overlaps because they were, you know, they're trying to be the same characters, but the actors choose a different way of doing it. So mm -hmm. I, I try to keep up with that. And sometimes I, can't, I can nail it. And sometimes, you know, it's just your mileage may vary. Mm -hmm. I hear, you know, there's some people who only hear the real Ghostbusters voices for them, period, full stop, all the way. And that was the panel. There were actually a lot of panels that weekend, some of which we've already released as part of Nerdy Show, including a panel I did with the co-creator of Ninja Turtles, Kevin Eastman, Tom Waltz, and Ben Bishop, talking about all kinds of Ninja Turtle stuff. And also one that I did with Tom Waltz and Eric Burnham, which was called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, where we dug deep into the well of the weirdest, most eclectic aspects, versions, iterations, action figures, <laughs> yeah, of the Ninja Turtles. We'll link to both those on this episode's page. We will actually be at uh, the 
other North Carolina Comic Con happening later this year, North Carolina Comic Con Bull City in Durham, North Carolina this fall, promoting lightning dogs. But in fact, weirdly, we're from Orlando, but there's another North Carolina nerd event that the Central Florida Ghostbusters are going to be at. Yeah, it's called uh, AVL Scarefest. It's basically horror-themed tabletop gaming, and they were gracious enough to invite us out. So I said, why not? All the other Ghostbusters said, why not? So if you want to meet us face-to-face, we're going to be there. It runs from October 19th through the 21st. You're running some games, right? That is the plan. So if you want to play, I will run a game for you. (laughs) You could play a Ghostbusters game alongside the Central Florida Ghostbusters. Yes, that is a fact. So yeah, that's October 19th through 21st in Asheville, North Carolina, a beautiful, funky, fun town where some spooky shit's going down. Yeah. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sure you're probably wondering, well, it's been uh, about a year since there was a new episode of Ghostbusters Resurrection. That's messed up. Where it at? Well, while there hasn't been anything put out publicly, we're still recording new ones. So production hasn't stopped. It's just really slow to a crawl. My priority has shifted to making sure we keep recording and we get a complete season done. And then as soon as I can, we go back full time into edit mode. So we're making the show and then editing the show as now sort of two separate stages at this point because I can no longer afford to do both at the same time. Right. So just as a little catch up, what happened before was things got dicey with Doug and his day job Mm -hmm. and his ability to do the day job and also edit and produce Ghostbusters with any kind Mm -hmm. of regularity. And that didn't get much better. (laughs) So that's why I decided to, instead of canceling the show or not having anything, I just decided to halt the editing to focus purely on the game. And then once that's done and ready, then I can just devote the rest of my time to editing at full time and get it out as soon as possible. Now, there's still things that could be done to ensure that Doug is able to put out Ghostbusters faster. But admittedly, it's something to the tune of let's provide him a extremely minimal amount of money to live off of. Sure. Some sort of assurances that Doug could quit his job cheaply oh man if that happened i would you get a new episode next week (laughs) it's like it's not even a question that's just such a long shot i'm not banking on it yeah even even having doug co-hosting on episodes where he doesn't have to do anything more than show up is still a tall order sure so if you want to help fund the cause then uh hit us up on patreon patreon.com slash nerdy show it goes into funding all sorts of stuff here on the nerdy show network and quite frankly doug having nerdy show as a full-time job in which ghostbusters would be the number one priority would mean a lot of bigger badder better things for all programming on the nerdy show network be they role-playing shows or otherwise but until that happens or unless say there's an angel investor out there who would like to Throw money at the problem. Uh, Hey, cap at nerdyshow.com. Let me know. (laughs) Contact me. We can make some deals and we can even try to make it worth your while. In the meantime, I just want to assure everybody that if you're really wanting to hear more, I promise you it's on its way. It's just going really slow, but we are not quitting. We got many more to come. So it's really just a matter of time. Anytime you want to check up, just hit me up on Twitter. Hit up the Ghostbusters on Twitter. GB Resurrection. We are not dead. And we are not dead. <laughs> we are just working really hard behind the scenes and making sure all of our focuses are on getting it done first. Now, that said, in terms of public release, these shows are not coming out until they're good and ready and we can have a steady release flow that is guaranteed. Correct. I never want to take a break again. But on Patreon, at even a dollar a month, when a new show is ready, mm-hmm. you'll get it immediately. Oh, yeah. So that publicly, it won't be released until they're all ready. But on Patreon, if you're on Patreon, as soon as an episode is done, regardless if it's a month or two months or whenever from now, you're going to hear it first as soon as it's ready. 
And we're not trying to be extortive of that or anything. We just, logistically speaking, we can't put out the show as a public series until it's ready to go. And if, you, if you're if you on Patreon because of Ghostbusters, I should give you something. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be fair otherwise. Yeah, so that's just how it is. Now, Doug, I understand that maybe you have a little something you can share with everybody. Yeah, it's not a whole episode, but hopefully it'll act as proof that what I'm telling you is true. There's a lot more to come, so let's just give him a little taste. Here's a brief clip from the very next episode of season three. Thirty-four. We mean with the night vision goggles that you just, you wouldn't want to look at the bright lights. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> looking at the lights, so I am looking up at the sky. Yeah, and it's just like kind of like a, a broad sweep. See if I see. Yeah, L- looking up at the sky, you're not seeing anything really. Nothing that would suggest that there's that there's something up there. You start to see a small private jet come into view. It's going to line itself up with the runway. It looks like he knows what he's doing mostly if he's just a kind of a little wobbly, but you're not panicked about it just yet. It looks like he's coming in. It might be another an, another minute or two. He's broken down through the clouds, so he's on his way in. But otherwise, you look looking around, you don't really see anything. Oh, this place is clean. Nothing but jet. Cool. I'm going to do just a little sweep with our PK. Sure. 36. You are definitely picking up a signal. It gets super strong as you aim it back towards the control tower. And in fact, right on the control tower is where you have the strongest signal what, like by far. What, mm. like, what PKE are we looking at? Like, Druden level class six. Class six, okay. Oh, uh, man, is it got, like on the side of the tower? I go, hey, uh, Wall, uh, looky over that away. It's I like look at the tower. The tower seems to be blocking, bulging out from the side of it is like this is a weird shape that's glowing very brightly. This is going, this has to be the Druden, and it must be on the other side of the tower. The tower is just blocking and full of cement and metal and everything seems to be blocking out of you. It's like a weird sort of cocoon shape. Ah, shit, we're fighting Mothra, guys. Um, Hey, who has the radio? I want to grab the radio. I'm like, hey, um, guys, you need to shut the radio off. You guys need to get down on the ground and very quietly get out of there. Now. You tell this to the people at uh, the troll tower? Yeah. Seriously, move quietly on your stomachs out. Now. You hear him repeat. He's just like, uh, guys, the ghost say we got to get out of here. Just drop it. Just leave it. You hear him like you hear him telling people, just, we gotta move, move, move. And you hear him like talking to him, and it sounds like they're making their way out. Uh, Harold, he says he's going to remain in the tower, but everyone everyone else is gone. And if he's feeding for anything, so. Okay. <laughs> that was a ghost eye I rolled by itself. Um, so I'll say at this point, um, the private jet is coming in. It's getting it's getting lower. You're starting to hear it very clearly. And while you're looking at the shape that's behind the control tower, you see it start to undulate a bit. Two very large leathery wings unfold and start flapping down in huge motions. Cue Fantasia. <laughs> and uh, these massive leather wings flapping, just blowing some trees with each you know with each flap. And this thing unhooks itself and takes off, and you're looking at a what appears to be a giant bat, a bat-like creature. Mike, what are we dealing with? Uh, it's it's a giant bat. Okay, so guys, um, I have nothing. And as it lines itself up with you, like starts coming head on, you feel through the vehicles and through your own bodies what would be like the giant speakers in the beginning of Back to the Future. If that were to play dubstep, like oh, you feel God. just ripping through you. No sound, but you just feel a and you can see the windows of the of the Ecto one and the truck just vibrating and shaking with each of this. So I'm gonna roll for Mr. Druden as he makes his approach. Oh, hey, that's a lot of dice. Yeah. 
That is a 37 for the Druden. So he comes over your vehicles and he's going straight for the plane. So go ahead if you want to take right, a no shot time now. For noise, so yeah. Uh, 24 and a ghost. I have 19 and a ghost. 17. Well, Nina, since she didn't get a ghost, I'd say that's good enough to hit because it's swooping down close enough. And with a proton pistol and everything, you can get pretty good aim. I'll say with wall and pool, you both fire at the same time. But as you both fire up into the air, the streams are pretty close, but you have a cross stream inhibitor that prevents it from just happening like that. But I'll say that that affects both of your shots. So with that, you do get a, a decent hit on it. But I would say it's probably closer to the feet, maybe the back of the wing, not really a solid on the body. But uh, with that, it's going to go right up to the plane, and it's just going to uh, wrap its clawed feet around the fuselage, and its wingspan uh, is, is much bigger than this aircraft. Uh, this particular Gulfstream has a wingspan of 63 feet, or about 20 meters. It looks like the wingspan of this creature is maybe twice that. Uh, it is huge. In fact, do we have a visual aid? Oh, no. Gonna. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck that thing. Whoa. And of course, as it will dig into the fuselage, it's going to dip its snout inside and try and dig in there and try and get all the juicy innards. Its powerful wings will flap so hard, it just starts lifting it up into the clouds. You hear the engines straining. Uh, they start to smoke and fire, and it disappears up into the cloud coverage. <laughs> so, um, so, like, we can't do anything about that. And the best is yet to come. If my opinion matters for anything... You ain't seen nothing yet. Or heard nothing yet. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, like Doug mentioned, do reach out to the Ghostbusters on Facebook or Twitter. Wherever you want, there's still stuff to come. Please do support us if you can. Patreon.com slash nerdyshow or give us a one-time donation at nerdyshow.com slash support. You can also shop via our Amazon links. And, uh, you know, the more people who listen to the show, the more people who might contribute. So if you haven't, do tell friends and strangers about the series. Or rate and review us on iTunes, which does contribute to telling strangers about the series. Sure. Or Podchaser, where you can rate and review not just a whole series, but specific episodes of a series. So you can highlight your favorite episodes of Ghostbusters Resurrection. I actually am very curious of what our listeners' favorite episodes are. If you have a favorite episode, go find it on Podchaser. Give it five stars so it'll rise closer to the top and we'll know which one you like. Please keep in touch. And until next time, stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.